for Jesus Christ. So, uh, Gerald and Wilma's back out with us today. They've had this junk too, and they can. Uh, they also know how it is trying to get that energy level back up. They've been telling me so. It's it's uh, it's just been something to go through, but we're ready to hit the ground rolling now. So, uh, as we prepare to get ready, we'll go in a, into prayer. I'll let you guys start out on your own, and I'll close it out, and then we'll get into the Word of God. Oh, fathers, we we get ready to uh, tread on some old, old ground in your word, but it's it's actually a question that I've heard quite often, not not really here, but in other places and throughout growing up in as a Christian. And uh, pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will be here with us today as we open up your word and we we take a look at what this question is. It's it's about what they call the unpardonable or the unforgivable sin. And a lot of people worry about that. Lord, I pray that, that your Holy Spirit will allow us to understand from your word what exactly that is and that if we're in Christ, we don't have to worry about that, Father. Not at all. And so, Father, be with us now. Make your word real to us. Help us to understand it. And then help us to take what knowledge that we gain and share that with others, Father. And so thankful that all of my brothers and sisters are out here today. And and um, pray also for uh, Ron and Doris. They've got some, some things that are still going on with them. And we just pray that you will be with them, Father. That you will protect them. That you will guide those who are working on them, Father. Into the proper procedures and channels and things to do. But most importantly, we pray for your hand of healing to be upon them as well, Father. And to, to just love on them and give them comfort and peace and know that you're there. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I'm going to have to get a drink of water, too. I'm getting dry. Ah, oh. oh, the unforgivable sin. You know, there's been times when I talk with people and you'll see that they're upset and you'll ask them what's the matter and they'll say I've I've sinned and I've done so many things in my life that that God can't forgive me there's no way that I can get over this or out from under it and to me that's one of the saddest saddest things because that's not the truth That's not the truth. There is not a sin that Christ didn't die for upon that cross for you. But whenever you're in that mindset and when you're depressed and when you're hurting, it's hard for your ears to hear the words of encouragement that people want to give you. So I ask for you to take those words now so that you'll be ready for it whenever you meet with the folks because there's only... One sin, and we're going to see it exposed here. And I don't even really call it a sin that's unforgivable. I'm going to call it, as when we get to it, I'm going to call it a decision. There's only one 
unforgivable decision. And that is not to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's the only thing that Christ could not die for. Was rejection of himself. He died for everything else. So let's, let's get into this. And, and let's see if we can't not only help ourselves and build us up. But also help those that we come in contact with. If you want to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 22. We're going to take our little Sunday drive. And um, we're going to take the long scenic route and get in there. Uh, we're going to end up in the New Testament, but we start here in 1 Kings 22, and I want to introduce you to a couple of Old Testament characters. One of them, she's pretty well known, but the other one's probably not too well known at all. And so we'll start with her first, and her name's Jezebel. And Jezebel, she is a princess. She was the daughter of a king. Her dad was named Ethbaal. And he was the king of the Sidonians over by Tyre and Sidon in Phoenicia. And so he was this powerful king. And as you can see from his name, Eth Baal, he was also a Baal worshiper, uh, the false gods. He was also one of their high priest type things of it. And the Tyre and Sidon and the coastal area there was like a cosmopolitan area. It's like London, New York, Paris. It's one of those places, I mean, as far as their day and time was. This is a place where um, the happening things were taking place. And she was a princess. And being daddy's little girl, she had got her way. She became not only a princess, but a priestess within that as well. And she um, had all of this kind of thing going that she was deep into the false religion. And... But what happened was, was Ethbaal saw that he wanted to have peace with Israel. And so to do that, they arranged the daughter, Jezebel's marriage with a guy that's going to be king, King Ahab. And they married and got together. And so she goes down to Samaria to be with Ahab. Now, that's like going from London and Paris to the coal mine country of Kentucky. I mean, you talk about culture change. It, it rocks your world. And there was nothing there that was familiar to her. So you know what she does? She calls back to home. And she sends for 450 prophets of Baal. And 400 of the prophets of, of Ishtar. And tells them to come on of Asheroth. And tells them to come on down here. Uh, we're going to establish... A new religion in Israel. She started putting up all of the religions going on. She had the groves. She had all of the things. She had Ahab to build a temple unto Beelzebub. She had um, all of the priests that came in. She started changing everything. And God had warned him. He said, don't go out and marry into these other countries who worship false gods. Because if you do, then they will get you to follow after them. And then the whole country is going to go downhill. So Ahab didn't listen. He takes Jezebel in. And Ahab now is getting ready to go on at the end of this uh, chapter. And as he passes on, now we get into the other um, person 
that I want you to know about, and that's their son. It's the son of Jezebel and the son of Ahab, and his name is Ahaziah. How many heard of Ahaziah? Figured somebody's going to go gazuntite. Uh, so Ahaziah, if we look there in 1 Kings chapter 22, uh, verses 51 to 53, it says, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, now became king over Israel and Samaria. In the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, and he reigned two years over Israel. Boy, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth who had made Israel to sin. For he served Baal, worshipped him, and he provoked the Lord of Israel to anger, according to all that his fathers had done. So now we flip the page, because that ends that chapter, and now we go to Second Kings chapter 1. So now we've introduced this new king that's come up, Ahaziah. He's a young man, probably in his low 20s. He's only going to serve two years because of how deep into this Baal worship he is. And it says over here in verse 2 of chapter 1 of, of 2 Kings, Go and inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury or not. You see, he's been out walking in his palace and up on the second floor, like David did the one time, and he looked down and seen Bathsheba. They like to walk on their courtyards on the top. Well, he went out by the little latticework where they have flowers and plants and stuff growing, and he stepped on that, and it broke, and it fell through, and he got injured really bad. The word there is for a severe sickness that had set in. And so he is, is laying there on his bed, and he's so sick, and I can relate. <laughs> he's so sick that he starts to wonder what's going to happen. And so instead of, though, of asking for someone from God to give him an answer, he calls for his messengers, and he says, I want you to go all the way to Ekron. I want you to go all the way up there in Phoenicia, where my mom's from, and to those um, God's up there and to those prophets, and I want you to ask them what's going to happen to me. Well, remember the old Kung Fu show when they'd go, which one is it? And then they'd hold out the one hand for him to choose a little more than the other. And it, well, he made a bad choice, Weed Hopper. He didn't choose to talk to God or any of his prophets there about what was going on with him. He decided he was going to send to Ekron, back to where his mom's family was. He wasn't going to serve the, the gods of his father's country in Israel, the God of heaven. Why would you do that? What happened just a couple chapters ago? Does anyone remember on Mount Carmel? Those 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah were up there. And Elijah's sitting up there on the top of Mount Carmel. And he says, how long are you going to halt between the two? Are you going to worship God or are you going to worship Baal? And then he said, oh, the God that answers by fire, he is God. You remember what happened? They tried all day. 850 prophets tried to bring fire down and they couldn't. And they cut themselves and they did all kinds of stuff and they screamed bloody murder. And that God did not answer. Elijah 
He said, pour water on my altar. Pour some more, pour some more. And he had a river running around it. And then he said, God, I know that you're going to answer, but just so that these folks know, answer by fire. And the fire of God came down and burned up and destroyed that altar and licked up even the water that was there. And all of those prophets he slew after that. Because the people rejoiced and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And they've killed the prophets. So why, Ahaziah, are you sending to Ekron? Because all of your prophets have just been destroyed by the man of God Don't you think there's a God in Israel that can answer your questions? Point for us. Sorry that I'm wound up. I've been angry since I've been sick. I don't know why. I told my wife it. Something in that made me angry. And it's it's letting loose right now. Isn't there a God in Israel? Didn't he just prove it? Why are you asking for somebody else's opinion? Why are you still halting between the two? So these, the point for us is, you got a problem? Take it to the Lord. Don't be looking anywhere else for the answers to your problem. Don't look in the newspaper. Don't look in a book. Don't look on anything. You open up that word of God and you go to him in prayer and you ask, for direction and guidance. You get on Google and Google whatever it is that you're worried about and put Bible verses concerning such and such. And you begin Bible verses to help when you're feeling down. But let the word of God be your answer. That's the first point we take here because what happens is this Isaiah he calls these messengers up and he says I want you to go. And I want you to go over there to Ekron and I want you to ask that God what's going to happen to me. God didn't like that very well. We've just showed you up on Mount Carmel. So here comes these guys out, these messengers. They don't get too far because an angel of the Lord comes to Elijah. Yeah, the same guy that was up on Mount Carmel. And it comes to Elijah. And if you're following along there, it says that the angel of the Lord stirred up Elijah and said, go down there and I want you to talk to those messengers that he's sending out. And so he goes down there and talks to the messengers and said, why are you going there to Ekron? And he says, because Ahaziah the king wants to see what's going to happen to him and he's going to consult with their gods. And Elijah says, don't waste your time. You don't have to go that far. I got your answer right here. You don't have to go all the way down there because the Lord God of heaven's got an answer. And he said, you turn around and you go back and you tell that king the bed that you're laying on because you thought there was no God in Israel and you're seeking to go somewhere else. You will not get out of that bed. So those servants hightail it back to Ahaziah. And Ahaziah is surprised. He's like, man, I sent you guys. Why ain't you gone yet? Why are you wasting time? Go find out. He goes, we started. But this, this guy, this wild and crazy guy, you know, this preacher, he comes out and starts saying that, that you're not going to Ekron. And I got an answer for you. And you tell the king he's not getting out of his bed. Ahaziah says, oh, no. 
what he looked like. Man, he was hairy. He's a hairy dude, and he's got a leather belt on. That's all it took. Oh, no, that's Elijah. (laughs) Yeah, that's Elijah. That's the guy from Mount Carmel. That's the guy that put all of your mama's prophets down, wasn't it? Because you said, is there no God in Israel? You're not getting off that bed. He said, go send for him. Go tell him I want him to come here. Now, I don't know why he would want to do that. Me, I'm going to repent really quick. And I'm going to change my mind. And I'm going to serve the God of heaven. I'm going to hope that like Hezekiah, that maybe he's going to extend my time. But he doesn't do that. He says, you go tell him to come here, that I'm bringing him here. So... A captain and his 50 go out. Elijah's sitting on a hill. Imagine that, just like up on Mount Carmel. He's sitting up on the hill, and he can see him coming. And they get down at the bottom of the hill, and that, that old prophet of God's just sitting there with his leather belt and all of his hair hanging out. And he's, he goes, yeah, what's up? He said, the king says you're coming with us, and you're going to stand before him. He said, oh man of God, you're going to come with us. Elijah looks at him. If I'm a man of God, let some more fire come down. (laughs) Boom. All 51 of them gone. It says there wasn't a trace. Wow. Does he change his mind yet? No. You know what he does? He's not worried about other people's life. He sends 50 more with the captain. He says, go out and tell him he's coming here to see me. This captain doesn't learn. I'm thinking that when you, there's a, a right way and a wrong way to talk to Elijah. <laughs> I Really, I do. And I think purdy please is one of the first things. And I'm sorry for bothering you, but purdy please, the king has commanded me to come. And won't you come so I don't lose my head? I think that's the way you talk to Elijah. I don't think you go up to Elijah and goes, Get your butt down here. The king wants you. Another firebolt. Another 51 men gone. Valiant men of Israel. Ahaziah doesn't learn. He sends another one. But this time, this, this captain's a little smarter. This captain, he decides, I'm going to use purdy, please. So he, he gets up there, and when he gets to the hill, it says he gets down on his hands and knees. And he says, Elijah, please, may my life and the life of these 50 men that are with me be precious in your sight. The king's asked us to bring you. I don't want to have to do it, but I'm under orders. And The angel of the Lord spoke to Elijah and said, Don't fear this guy. Go with him. So Elijah comes down off of that hill and he goes with him. But I want you to know something. The message doesn't change from God. He stands in front of Ahaziah. And he looks him in the eye. And he said, Because you said there is no God in Israel... Just like I told you before, God's given his word. and You're not getting off of that bed. And it says that he died right there in that bed, just like the God said he would. 
you got a problem, take it to the Lord. That's part number one. Now we're going to veer off of our Old Testament drive and turn on to interstate New Testament drive and go uh, fast forward now about 900 years and up to where Jesus Christ is. If you want to turn, I think I'm at Matthew chapter 12 now. And the reason we did this because... This going and seeking for Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, that's the only time in the Old Testament that 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 specific one is mentioned. And that's why we covered that, because now Jesus is going to be called that as we get here. Oh, I've got to get some more water while you're turning. Matthew 12. It's just been a normal week for Jesus, man. He's, he's been healing. They, on the Sabbath, they were passing through a cornfield. Pharisees was hiding for him, started pestering him and the disciples because they're doing what they think they ought to be doing and eating in there. Jesus goes to the synagogue to worship. They've set him up. They've set him up with a man with a withered hand, and it's the Sabbath. And they want to see if they can't get him into trouble for breaking what their rule is that you can't heal on the Sabbath. So Jesus looks at them and says from the hardness of their heart it made him upset and it made him mad. And so he looked at the man with the withered hand. He said, stretch forth thy hand. And the man stretched forth his hand and as he reached it towards Jesus it became whole. It says it became just like the other one. We're going somewhere with this. Don't you think that Ahaziah would have liked to have had that kind of healing from what had him on his bed? Huh? He didn't want, he didn't want to look at God, did he? He wanted to go elsewhere. So he didn't want to look at God. The Pharisees are in the same boat, okay, as Ahaziah. They're not believing in Jesus Christ. And they're not really believing in God. Here is God in flesh, and he has just done a miracle, and they should be excited. They should be praising God that salvation has come. Look, this is what's been talked about. What does it say that they did? They got mad. They got jealous. They got angry and turned right out of that synagogue and wanted to see how they might destroy Jesus. That's the mindset that he's dealing with. Ahaziah would have liked to have had that healing. Many of the folks wanted that kind of healing from God. So now, Jesus realizes they're wanting to get him. So it says that he goes on and moves out too, but they find him. And now they're bringing some other, other people to him. And they bring this one to him who is demon-possessed. And he's mute. He can't speak. And he's blind. And he's demon-possessed. And Jesus heals that man. In a moment of time, blindness is gone. Muteness is gone. Demonic possession is gone. Couple people whisper. 
could this be the son of David? That's a messianic term. They're starting to get it. A few of them are seeing that maybe this is the Christ that was talked about. But what do the Pharisees come back with? He does not cast out demons from God, but by the spirit of Beelzebub does he cast out these demons. There's our tie-in. Beelzebub was in 1 Kings 22 and 2 Kings 1. That's who Ahaziah was sending forth. It comes from that spirit of Jezebel, and it comes from the spirit of false religion. And these Pharisees do not recognize that it's the Holy Spirit working through Jesus that's healing the withered hand, that's throwing out the possession, that's healing the blind and the dumb. And they say, no, it is by Beelzebub he does this. And that, folks, is the unpardonable decision. That is where Jesus goes on to say that neither in this lifetime or the next can that be forgiven. Because it is the operation of the Holy Spirit of God to convict our hearts and to bring us into a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And to say that the works of the Holy Spirit that Jesus was doing was of the devil was complete rejection of Him, of God, and the Holy Spirit, and the only way of salvation. And so that kind of decision is the unpardonable thing. Because without that, there is no forgiveness. If you do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you think that He's the devil, and that He works by the Spirit of the devil, then there is now no hope. Because that's the one thing that he couldn't die for, was the rejection of himself. Now, these guys, these Pharisees, I'm going to tell you how crazy they are. Go down, I'd have to look, I'm, I'm all over the place. Tanya don't even know where I'm at. She's nodding. I've just been letting it rip. Down around verse 38 or so. It says, you know what they ask him again? Uh, we'd like to see a sign. <laughs> Are you kidding me? What the hey hey has he been doing all week? He just healed a man that had a withered hand. He just cast out demons. He just made a blind man see. And a guy who couldn't talk, talk and everything is ho. And they go, um... Yeah, but that was from the devil. We want to see a real sign. Are you kidding me? That is not acceptable before God. And that's why he says, first of all, I'm not doing this through Satan. Because a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. A house divided against itself won't stand. You first got to come in and bind that strong man so that then you can take his stuff. And I'm binding him. I'm not here as a part of him. Point number two for us. The church. We are the kingdom of God. 
We're not a part of this world. Kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. So folks, we need to be united. We need to be united as one in Christ. And there might be things that come up that I don't agree with and you don't agree with, but you know what? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is Christ's kingdom, not my kingdom. And he says, if you begin dividing, the kingdom cannot stand. We have no right dividing kingdoms. We try to keep it together. And that's why we meet together and we pray together and we study together so that we're all on the same page. But now, if you are in Christ, I want you to realize that there's no way that you can commit an unpardonable sin. You have to completely turn from God, from Christ, and say that he is the demon and that everything you read about in this word is wrong and demon-possessed. If you are in Christ and you believe in him and he is your Lord and Savior, he died for every sin. So please, never think that you've done too much, something too gross, too many repetitions. It just ain't happening. He died for all of that. Now, I want to take you through a little bit of what this is. He said in verse 31, Every sin and every blasphemy can be forgiven, but the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven men. Whoever speaks against the Son of Man, it can be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Spirit, it will not be forgiven, not in this age or in the age to come. And that's Jesus talking. And so what he's really pointing to is this. I want to take us through it real quick. Um, John 16, verses 7 through 11 says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, and here's what our Comforter, the Holy Spirit, here's his job. He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you'll see me no more. And of judgment because at that point the ruler of this world is judged. So guess what? If you look at the work of the Holy Spirit, especially in the life of Jesus and say that's the devil. That is what he's talking about that is the unforgivable. But what about for us? Well... Jesus isn't here with us like he was. But guess what we have? The word of God. We've got the Bible. John 20, verse 30 and 31 says this. Truly did Jesus do many other signs and things in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And the believing that you might have life in his name. These things are written. And guess who wrote it? Second Peter chapter 1, 20 and 21. 
knowing first no prophecy of scriptures of any private interpretation. The prophecy never came by will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by what? The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of God. The words are the words of the Holy Spirit. The words in this book, he spoke. They are designed so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Romans 1, Paul affirms, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There is the righteousness of God revealed. And it's revealed by the Spirit through words. Through words. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture. That, that kind of counts all of it, doesn't it? All Scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God might be complete, thoroughly furnished into every good work. So it's the Spirit's job to convict. It was the Spirit's job to be with Jesus. It's the Spirit's job to give us all of these words and things so that we might believe and have hope and have the same power that Jesus had because that word is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is the Holy Spirit Within us, he is there. Jesus is the word. He's within us. The spirit's within us. We've got the same atmosphere going on in us that was going on with Christ as he was in this world. Now, so whenever we read of feeding 5,000 and we read of walking on water and then we read of his death burial and resurrection this is the power of God to salvation the rejection of that is the same thing as when the Pharisees rejected what Jesus did and said that it's of the devil listen to how Jesus sums it up as we get ready to close John 3 16 18 and 36 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. In verse 36, he who believes in the son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. It's pretty clear, isn't it? The only unpardonable, unforgivable thing is for you not to accept Jesus. If you are here today and you have not accepted him, there's danger and death and delay. Do not delay to put on Jesus Christ in faith and to believe in him and to walk with him and allow him to be your Lord. If you are a Christian and, and you've done that, like most have that are here, realize this. 
There's no sin too big, too gross, too much. There's nothing that you're not forgiven of. Don't allow the lies of the evil one to bring you down and make you think that you are unworthy or that you can't be forgiven because that's a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus died for every sin. You confess that sin. He is faithful and just to forgive you of that sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So please know that. Walk in that power of that promise that I am forgiven when I ask. And for those that you run across that are down and hurting and saying there's no hope for me, I pray that you will take this and share with them that that is not the case. There's only one way for that to happen, and that's if you don't believe in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessed grace. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to be at ease in our mind and our heart that when we believe in your Son and the work on the cross and the grace that you provided, that there is nothing that you withhold from us as far as forgiveness is concerned. Father, may we take this to a hurting and dying world who thinks that they have no hope. Let them see the light of a loving Savior. Father, give us the confidence to realize it ourselves. And to always take everything to you in prayer. And Father, may we always seek you first and you only for problems and situations of life. May we always seek to keep the kingdom of your son united. May we worship you in a way that brings you glory and honor, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. And I forgot to say, come on up.